Chapter six of Father Goriot by Honoré de Balzac. Translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Chapter six. The next day Rastignac dressed himself very elegantly, and about three o'clock in the afternoon went to call on Madame de Restaud. On the way thither he indulged in the wild intoxicating dreams which fill a young head so full of delicious excitement. Young men at his age take no account of obstacles nor of dangers, they see success in every direction. Imagination has free play and turns their lives into a romance. They are saddened or discouraged by the collapse of one of the visionary schemes that have no existence save in their heated fancy. If youth were not ignorant and timid, civilization would be impossible. Eugène took unheard-of pains to keep himself in a spotless condition, but on his way through the streets he began to think about Madame de Restaud and what he should say to her. He equipped himself with wit, rehearsed repartees in the course of an imaginary conversation, and prepared certain neat speeches à la Talleyrand, conjuring up a series of small events which should prepare the way for the declaration on which he had based his future and during these musings the law student was bespattered with mud and by the time he reached the palais royal he was obliged to have his boots blacked and his trousers brushed if i were rich he said as he changed the five-franc piece he had brought with him in case anything might happen i would take a cab then i could think at my ease at last he reached the rue du helder and asked for the comtesse de Restaud. He bore the contemptuous glances of the servants, who had seen him cross the court on foot, with the cold fury of a man who knows that he will succeed some day. He understood the meaning of their glances at once, for he had felt his inferiority as soon as he entered the court, where a smart cab was waiting. All the delights of life in Paris seemed to be implied by this visible and manifest sign of luxury and extravagance. A fine horse in magnificent harness was pawing the ground, and all at once the law student felt out of humor with himself. Every compartment in his brain, which he had thought to find so full of wit, was bolted fast. He grew positively stupid. He sent up his name to the countess, and waited in the antechamber, standing on one foot before a window that looked out upon the court. Mechanically he leaned his elbow against the sash and stared before him. The time seemed long. He would have left the house but for the southern tenacity of purpose which works miracles when it is single-minded. "'Madame is in her boudoir and cannot see anyone at present, sir,' said the servant. "'She gave me no answer, but if you will go into the dining-room there is someone already there.' Rastignac was impressed with a sense of the formidable power of the lackey who can accuse or condemn his masters by a word. He coolly opened the door by which the man had just entered the antechamber, meaning no doubt to show these insolent flunkies that he was familiar with the house, but he found that he had thoughtlessly precipitated himself into a small room full of dressers, where lamps were standing and hot water pipes on which towels were being dried. A dark passage and a back staircase lay beyond it. Stifled laughter from the antechamber added to his confusion. "'This way to the drawing-room, sir,' 
said the servant, with the exaggerated respect which seemed to be one more jest at his expense. Eugène turned so quickly that he stumbled against a bath. By good luck he managed to keep his hat on his head and saved it from immersion in the water. But just as he turned, a door opened at the further end of the dark passage, dimly lighted by a small lamp. Rastignac heard voices and the sound of a kiss. One of the speakers was Madame de Restaud. The other was Father Goriot. Eugène followed the servant through the dining-room into the drawing-room. He went to a window that looked out into the courtyard and stood there for a while. He meant to know whether this Goriot was really the Goriot that he knew. His heart beat unwontedly fast. He remembered Vautrin's hideous insinuations. A well-dressed young man suddenly emerged from the room almost as Eugène entered it, saying impatiently to the servant who stood at the door, I am going, Maurice. Tell Madame la Comtesse that I waited more than half an hour for her. Whereupon this insolent being, who doubtless had a right to be insolent, sang an Italian trill and went towards the window where Eugène was standing, moved thereto quite as much by a desire to see the student's face as by a wish to look out into the courtyard. But Monsieur le Comte had better wait a moment longer. Madame is disengaged, said Maurice, as he returned to the antechamber. Just at that moment, Father Goriot appeared close to the gate. He had emerged from a door at the foot of the back staircase. The worthy soul was preparing to open his umbrella, regardless of the fact that the great gate had opened to admit a tilbury, in which a young man with a ribbon at his buttonhole was seated. Father Goriot had scarcely time to start back and save himself. The horse took fright at the umbrella, swerved, and dashed forward towards the flight of steps. The young man looked round in annoyance, saw Father Goriot, and greeted him as he went out with constrained courtesy, such as people usually show to a money-lender so long as they require his services or the sort of respect they feel it necessary to show for someone whose reputation has been blown upon, so that they blush to acknowledge his acquaintance. Father Goriot gave him a little friendly nod and a good-natured smile. All this happened with lightning speed. Eugène was so deeply interested that he forgot that he was not alone till he suddenly heard the Countess's voice. "'Oh, Maxime, were you going away?' she said reproachfully, with a shade of pique in her manner. The countess had not seen the incident nor the entrance of the tilbury. Rastignac turned abruptly and saw her standing before him, coquettishly dressed in a loose white cashmere gown, with knots of rose-colored ribbon here and there. Her hair was carelessly coiled about her head, as is the wont of Parisian women in the morning. There was a soft fragrance about her, doubtless she was fresh from a bath her graceful form seemed more flexible her beauty more luxuriant her eyes glistened a young man can see everything at a glance he feels the radiant influence of woman as a plant discerns and absorbs its nutriment from the air he did not need to touch her hands to feel their cool freshness he saw faint rose tints through the cashmere of the dressing-gown it had fallen slightly open, giving glimpses of a bare throat on which the student's eyes rested. 
the countess had no need of the adventitious aid of corsets her girdle defined the outlines of her slender waist her throat was a challenge to love her feet thrust into slippers were daintily small as maxime took her hand and kissed it eugene became aware of maxime's existence and the countess saw eugene oh is that you monsieur de rastignac i am very glad to see you she said but there was something in her manner that a shrewd observer would have taken as a hint to depart maxime as the countess anastasie had called the young man with the haughty insolence of bearing looked from eugene to the lady and from the lady to eugene it was sufficiently evident that he wished to be rid of the latter an exact and faithful rendering of the glance might be given in the words look here my dear i hope you intend to send this little whippersnapper about his business the countess consulted the young man's face with an intense submissiveness that betrays all the secrets of a woman's heart and rastignac all at once began to hate him violently to begin with the sight of the fair carefully arranged curls on the other's comely head had convinced him that his own crop was hideous maxime's boots moreover were elegant and spotless while his own in spite of all his care bore some traces of his recent walk and finally maxime's overcoat fitted the outline of his figure gracefully he looked like a pretty woman while eugene was wearing a black coat at half-past two the quick-witted child of the charente felt the disadvantage at which he was placed beside this tall slender dandy with the clear gaze and the pale face one of those men who would ruin orphan children without scruple madame de restaud fled into the next room without waiting for eugene to speak shaking out the skirts of her dressing-gown in her flight so that she looked like a white butterfly and maxime hurried after her eugene in a fury followed maxime and the countess and the three stood once more face to face by the hearth in the large drawing-room the law student felt quite sure that the odious maxime found him in the way and even at the risk of displeasing madame de restaud he meant to annoy the dandy it had struck him all at once that he had seen the young man before at madame de beauseant's ball he guessed the relation between maxime and madame de restaud and with the youthful audacity that commits prodigious blunders or achieves signal success he said to himself this is my rival i mean to cut him out rash resolve he did not know that monsieur le comte maxime de troyes would wait till he was insulted so as to fire first and kill his man eugene was a sportsman and a good shot but he had not yet hit the bull's-eye twenty times out of twenty-two the young count dropped into a low chair by the hearth took up the tongs and made up the fire so violently and so sulkily that anastasie's fair face suddenly clouded over she turned to eugene with a cool questioning glance that asked plainly why do you not go a glance which well-bred people regard as a cue to make their exit eugene assumed an amiable expression madame he began i hastened to call upon you he stopped short the door opened 
and the owner of the tilbury suddenly appeared he had left his hat outside and did not greet the countess he looked meditatively at rastignac and held out his hand to maxime with a cordial good morning that astonished eugene not a little the young provincial did not understand the amenities of a triple alliance monsieur de restaud said the countess introducing her husband to the law student eugene bowed profoundly this gentleman she continued presenting eugene to her husband is monsieur de rastignac he is related to madame la vicomtesse de beauseant through the marciacs i had the pleasure of meeting him at her last ball related to madame la vicomtesse de beauseant through the marciacs these words on which the countess threw ever so slight an emphasis by reason of the pride that the mistress of a house takes in showing that she only receives people of distinction as visitors in her house produced a magical effect the count's stiff manner relaxed at once as he returned the student's bow delighted to have an opportunity of making your acquaintance he said maxime de Troyes himself gave eugene an uneasy glance and suddenly dropped his insolent manner the mighty name had all the power of a fairy's wand those closed compartments in the southern brain flew open again rastignac's carefully drilled faculties returned it was as if a sudden light had pierced the obscurity of this upper world of paris and he began to see though everything was indistinct as yet madame vauquer's lodging-house and father goriot were very far remote from his thoughts i thought that the marciacs were extinct the comte de restaud said addressing eugene yes they are extinct answered the law student my great-uncle the chevalier de rastignac married the heiress of the marciac family they had only one daughter who married the Maréchal de clarembault madame de beauseant's grandfather on the mother's side we are the younger branch of the family and the younger branch is all the poorer because my great-uncle the vice-admiral lost all that he had in the king's service the government during the revolution refused to admit our claims when the compagnie des indes was liquidated was not your great-uncle in command of the vengeurs before seventeen eighty nine yes then he would be acquainted with my grandfather who commanded the warwick maxime looked at madame de restaud and shrugged his shoulders as who should say if he is going to discuss nautical matters with that fellow it is all over with us anastasie understood the glance that monsieur de Troyes gave her with a woman's admirable tact she began to smile and said come with me maxime i have something to say to you we will leave you two gentlemen to sail in company on board the warwick and the vengeur she rose to her feet and signed to maxime to follow her mirth and mischief in her whole attitude and the two went in the direction of the boudoir the morganatic couple to use a convenient german expression which has no exact equivalent had reached the door when the count interrupted himself in his talk with eugene anastasie he cried pettishly just stay a moment dear you know very well that i am coming back in a minute she interrupted i have a commission for maxime to execute and i want to tell him about it 
She came back almost immediately. She had noticed the inflection in her husband's voice, and knew that it would not be safe to retire to the boudoir. Like all women who are compelled to study their husband's characters in order to have their own way, and whose business it is to know exactly how far they can go without endangering a good understanding, she was very careful to avoid petty collisions in domestic life. It was Eugène who had brought about this untoward incident, so the countess looked at Maxime and indicated the law student with an air of exasperation. Monsieur de Troyes addressed the count, the countess, and Eugène with the pointed remark, You are busy. I do not want to interrupt you. Good day. And he went. Just wait a moment, Maxime, the count called after him. Come and dine with us, said the countess, leaving Eugène and her husband together once more. She followed Maxime into the little drawing-room, where they sat together sufficiently long to feel sure that Rastignac had taken his leave. The law student heard their laughter and their voices and the pauses in their talk. He grew malicious, exerted his conversational powers for Monsieur de Restaud, flattered him and drew him into discussions, to the end that he might see the countess again and discover the nature of her relations with father goriot this countess with a husband and a lover for maxime clearly was her lover was a mystery what was the secret tie that bound her to the old tradesman this mystery he meant to penetrate hoping by its means to gain a sovereign ascendancy over this fair typical parisian "'Anastasie!' the Count called again to his wife. "'Poor Maxime,' she said, addressing the young man. "'Come, we must resign ourselves. This evening.' "'I hope, Nazi,' he said in her ear, "'that you will give orders not to admit that youngster "'whose eyes light up like live coals when he looks at you. "'He will make you a declaration and compromise you, "'and then you will compel me to kill him.' are you mad maxime she said a young lad of a student is on the contrary a capital lightning conductor is not that so of course i mean to make westo furiously jealous of him maxime burst out laughing and went out followed by the countess who stood at the window to watch him into his carriage he shook his whip and made his horse prance she only returned when the great gate had been closed after him. "'What do you think, dear?' cried the Count, her husband. "'This gentleman's family estate is not far from Verteuil, on the Charente. His great-uncle and my grandfather were acquainted.' "'Delighted to find that we have acquaintances in common,' said the Countess, with a preoccupied manner. "'More than you think,' said Eugène, in a low voice. "'What do you mean?' she asked quickly. "'Why, only just now,' said the student, "'I saw a gentleman go out at the gate, Father Goriot, my next-door neighbor in the house where I am lodging.' At the sound of this name, and the prefix that embellished it, the Count, who was stirring the fire, let the tongs fall as though they had burned his fingers, and rose to his feet. "'Sir,' he cried, "'you might have called him Monsieur Goriot.' The countess turned pale at first at the sight of her husband's vexation, then she reddened. Clearly she was embarrassed. 
her answer was made in a tone that she tried to make natural and with an air of assumed carelessness you could not know anyone who is dearer to us both she broke off glanced at the piano as if some fancy had crossed her mind and asked are you fond of music monsieur de rastignac exceedingly answered eugene flushing and disconcerted by a dim suspicion that he had somehow been guilty of a clumsy piece of folly do you sing she cried going to the piano and sitting down before it she swept her fingers over the keyboard from end to end Rah! no madame the comte de restaud walked to and fro that is a pity you are without one great means of success caro 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 non dubitare sang the countess eugene had a second time waved a magic wand when he uttered goriot's name but the effect seemed to be entirely opposite to that produced by the formula related to madame de beauseant his position was not unlike that of some visitor permitted as a favor to inspect a private collection of curiosities when by inadvertence he comes into collision with a glass case full of sculptured figures and three or four heads imperfectly secured fall at the shock he wished the earth would open and swallow him madame de restaud's expression was reserved and chilly her eyes had grown indifferent and sedulously avoided meeting those of the unlucky student of law madame he said you wish to talk with monsieur de restaud permit me to wish you good day the countess interrupted him by a gesture saying hastily whenever you come to see us both monsieur de restaud and i shall be delighted to see you eugene made a profound bow and took his leave followed by monsieur de restaud who insisted in spite of his remonstrances on accompanying him into the hall neither your mistress nor i are at home to that gentleman when he calls the count said to maurice as eugene set foot on the steps he saw that it was raining come said he to himself somehow i have just made a mess of it i do not know how and now i am going to spoil my hat and coat into the bargain i ought to stop in my corner grind away at law and never look to be anything but a boorish country magistrate how can i go into society when to manage properly you want a lot of cabs varnished boots gold watch chains and all sorts of things you have to wear white doe-skin gloves that cost six francs in the morning and primrose kid gloves every evening a fig for that old humbug of a gorio when he reached the street door the driver of a hackney coach who had probably just deposited a wedding party at their door and asked nothing better than a chance of making a little money for himself without his employer's knowledge saw that eugene had no umbrella remarked his black coat white waistcoat yellow gloves and varnished boots and stopped and looked at him inquiringly eugene in the blind desperation that drives a young man to plunge deeper and deeper into an abyss as if he might hope to find a fortunate issue in its lowest depths nodded in reply to the driver's signal and stepped into the cab a few stray petals of orange blossom and scraps of wire bore witness to its recent occupation by a wedding party 
where am i to drive sir demanded the man who by this time had taken off his white gloves confound it eugene said to himself i am in for it now and at least i will not spend cab hire for nothing drive to the hotel beauseant he said aloud which asked the man a portentous word that reduced eugene to confusion this young man of fashion species in certa did not know that there were two hotels beauseant he was not aware how rich he was in relations who did not care about him the vicomte de beauseant rue de grenelle interrupted the driver with a jerk of his head you see there are the hotels of the marquis and comte de beauseant in the rue saint dominique he added drawing up the step i know all about that said eugene severely everybody is laughing at me to-day it seems he said to himself as he deposited his hat on the opposite seat this escapade will cost me a king's ransom but at any rate i shall call on my so-called cousin in a thoroughly aristocratic fashion goriot has cost me ten francs already the old scoundrel my word i will tell madame de beauseant about my adventure perhaps it may amuse her doubtless she will know the secret of the criminal relation between that handsome woman and the old rat without a tail it would be better to find favor in my cousin's eyes than to come in contact with that shameless woman who seems to me to have very expensive tastes surely the beautiful vicomtesse's personal interest would turn the scale for me when the mere mention of her name produces such an effect let us look higher if you set yourself to carry the heights of heaven you must face god the innumerable thoughts that surged through his brain might be summed up in these phrases he grew calmer and recovered something of his assurance as he watched the falling rain he told himself that though he was about to squander two of the precious five-franc pieces that remained to him the money was well laid out in preserving his coat boots and hat and his cabman's cry of gate if you please almost put him in spirits a swiss in scarlet and gold appeared the great door groaned on its hinges and rastignac with sweet satisfaction beheld his equipage pass under the archway and stop before the flight of steps beneath the awning the driver in a blue and red greatcoat dismounted and let down the step as eugene stepped out of the cab he heard smothered laughter from the peristyle three or four lackeys were making merry over the festal appearance of the vehicle in another moment the law student was enlightened as to the cause of their hilarity he felt the full force of the contrast between his equipage and one of the smartest broughams in paris a coachman with powdered hair seemed to find it difficult to hold a pair of spirited horses who stood chafing the bit in madame de restaud's courtyard in the chaussee d'antin he had seen the neat turnout of a young man of six-and-twenty in the faubourg saint-germain he found the luxurious equipage of a man of rank thirty thousand francs would not have purchased it who can be here said eugene to himself he began to understand though somewhat tardily that he must not expect to find many women in paris who were not already appropriated and that the capture of one of these queens would be likely to cost something more than bloodshed 
confound it all i expect my cousin also has her maxime he went up the steps feeling that he was a blighted being the glass door was open for him the servants were as solemn as jackasses under the currycomb so far eugene had only been in the ballroom on the ground floor of the hotel beauseant the fete had followed so closely on the invitation that he had not had time to call on his cousin and had therefore never seen madame de beauseant's apartments he was about to behold for the first time a great lady among the wonderful and elegant surroundings that reveal her character and reflect her daily life he was the more curious because madame de restaud's drawing-room had provided him with a standard of comparison at half-past four the vicomtesse de beauseant was visible five minutes earlier she would not have received her cousin but eugene knew nothing of the recognized routine of various houses in paris he was conducted up the wide white-painted crimson-carpeted staircase between the gilded balusters and masses of flowering plants to madame de beauseant's apartments he did not know the rumor current about madame de beauseant one of the biographies told with variations in whispers every evening in the salons of paris End of chapter six